0: So if you guys have your Bibles, open them up to the book of Luke. Uh, Last week, Pastor Ted, um, he was talking about uh, Peter and the call into ministry, the call um, to go deeper into uh, a deeper level of commitment, uh, deeper level of um, just a deeper relationship with Jesus. And so we saw that Peter answered the call and Jesus is, is gaining popularity um, and, and people are coming to see what he's all about. Um, and so today, we're going to look at three different people um, and, and just how they encountered Jesus and what happened to them after they encountered Jesus. And so we're going to look at a leper. We're going to look at um, a paralytic. And we're going to look at a tax collector and how each one of these persons, um their life radically changed after they came um, into, had an encounter with the living God. And so my prayer this morning, my my hope this morning is that we would have an encounter with the living God and that we would be forever changed uh, because of that. And if I were to sum up today and what the Lord has kind of put on my heart to share, it would be that Jesus changes lives. Um, and uh, can I, so let me just set the, preface a little bit. I I like to teach, and normally I teach with with high school students and junior high students, and so there's a lot of interaction, and so it's okay when I ask questions, it's okay to respond. I actually like that, Um, so it's not weird. Normally it's like in big church, you don't like speak up, but it's okay. You can we can, you can give me amens, and you're doing greats and cheering me on. Just kidding. No, but I'll be asking questions, and I like dialogue, and so don't feel afraid to, when I ask a question, it's not rhetorical. I want you to, to be vocal. Um, I, I retain better that way. I believe we retain better that way, and so um, how many of you guys are thankful and grateful um, for a living God that has touched your life? Yes. Amen. Okay, can I get an amen? Yes. Oh, this is going to be a great morning. So. <laughs> Uh, Let's go. Let's open up our Bibles. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 12. Let's go. It says, And it happened when he was in a certain city that, behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus, and he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then he put out his hand and he touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately, leprosy left him. And he charged him, that's Jesus, said, but go and show yourself to the priests and make an offering for your cleansing and as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. And so he himself, Jesus, often withdrew it into the wilderness and prayed. And so, um, what I want you guys to do is I want you to try hard to put yourself in the story. Here, um, we meet the first one, the first character that we meet here is we meet a man who's full of leprosy. Now, Luke is a doctor, and so this is his account of the gospel, and uh, and he says that. This man was full of leprosy. That means he had had it for some time. He, is, uh, he has been inundated with it. He's not just on the beginning stages of it, but rather he is completely consumed with leprosy. Now, leprosy, um, as some of you may know, uh, it is a debilitating disease. If you were a leper, Um, In the day of Jesus, you were uh, confined to leper colonies. You had to live outside of community, outside of the camp, outside of relationship, outside of fellowship. You could no longer be inside the city and having human interaction. If you were to walk by someone as a leper, you would have to yell, unclean, unclean. If... uh, uh, I, was, I was doing some research and I, and I read that sometime people would carry rocks in their pocket just in case a leper come, they would take out a rock and throw it at him. Now, as disease affected your skin, you were no longer to, allowed to touch anyone. You couldn't buy, you couldn't sell in the marketplace. You were confined, you were outside of the city, outside of relationship, outside of physical touch. So this man, having been full of leprosy, uh, was not allowed to even worship. I mean, he was excommunicated from all society outside of the synagogue. I mean, you name it, this guy was in the lowest point of his entire life. The Bible says in Leviticus, I'll actually put it up on the screen for you, it says, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let their hair of his head hang loose and uh, he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as the disease, uh, as long as he has the disease, he is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Imagine that. Imagine living in total isolation outside of relationship with people. Imagine being a husband, stricken with leprosy, not being able to touch and hold your wife, your children, not being able to give your family a hug or a kiss. Imagine being a mom and having leprosy, and here you're, you have these young kids, and now because you, 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 can't, you don't want to affect them, you are now isolated to live alone. That's the state that this man is in. He wasn't even allowed to be in the city, but we see him meet Jesus in the city, meaning he was desperate to get to Jesus, he realized that he was without hope, without salvation, without cleansing. And then he meets Jesus. And we see here in, in verse 12, it says, it happened, you know, in a certain city that behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus and he fell down on his face and implored him saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So this man, we see the first thing that this man does, he sees Jesus, he goes out of his way into the town, doesn't care, he's probably getting rocks thrown at him, and, and he sees Jesus and he falls down at Jesus' feet, on his face, just right there in the dirt. And as you look at this passage, you look at the, the, the Hebrew and the Greek, and the idea here is he's falling down, as he's falling in that, that reverence posture to worship God. I don't know about you, but if I'm stricken with leprosy, Worshiping is not necessarily on the top of my priority list. I'm trying to get healed and cleansed first. I want to get something from God before I can thank him for what he's done in my life. But we don't see that here as he's falling down to worship. He's saying, I'm going to worship you regardless of the outcome. I'm going to ask for healing. And by faith, that I know you can heal me, but I'm going to worship you beforehand It's easy for us once we get something from God that we can worship, amen? It's not as easy, almost impossible sometimes to worship God when things, when we're stricken with leprosy, metaphorically speaking. But the Bible says we need to worship God, not worship God if, worship God. And the timing of this worship is is just incredible. He sees Jesus, he falls down his face, and he says, I'm going to worship you whether you heal me or not. If you choose to heal me, awesome. I want that. But I'm going to worship whether or not you decide to heal me. And the faith of this leopard is incredible. He knew that he just had to get to Jesus and that Jesus was able. It wasn't a question if he could, but it was a question of if it was his will. That's incredible to me. Actually, the same thing is true as we're we going to look at the next story in the paralytic. The same thing is true as he's brought to the God. They knew he could, it was just a matter of it was within his will. Are we okay if it's not in God's will? As Christians, we can all say, yes, we're okay, right? But living that out practically, it's a different story. Can I get an amen? We know theologically that God can heal and that we're supposed to worship, but if God doesn't heal, will we still respond the way we ought to respond? That's always the challenge. So for each and every one of us in this room, the litmus test of our growth and our relationship with God is when are we worshiping? Only when times are good? Are we worshiping in, in, in dark times? Are we worshiping in good times? Are we waiting upon this healing before we worship? Are we waiting for God to do something for us before we give him praise? We don't worship because of the things that God can do for us. We worship because of God, who God is. And it's our right to do that, or it's our, it's our mandate to do that. Ecclesiastes 7 says this, verse 14, in the day of prosperity be joyful. That's easy, right? And the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other. So that man may not find out anything that will be after him. So this verse calls us to worship God in the good times and the bad times because they both are from God. God allows bad things to happen. God allows us to go through hard things. Sometimes God prescribes really hard things for us. And we don't reserve our worship for just the good times. Our worship ought to be through thick and thin, through good and bad, through ups and downs. David talked about in the valley of the shadow of death, I'm gonna fear no evil. Do you think he did that? Because he, wasn't, he knew his God. That's why he could say that. It's hard for us to say, I'm gonna worship you, God, when we don't know his character and we don't know him. As I'm praying for Alex up here and crying, because he and I have just been so close over the years, and it's like... I, I know God's good. Now, is that a good situation? No, but I know God's good. That's not, no, that's not a punishment for the Ruiz family or Alex. This is something that God is allowing him to go through for whatever reason, and we know that we can trust God's word when it says all things will work together for the good for those who love God and those who are the called according to his purpose. So we can worship God because we know his character, not because circumstances work out the way we want them. And if we can get that mindset then worship will come more often in our lives. That's what we're called to do. When we worship, when we praise the Lord, it's good for our soul. It's healthy for us. And so if we waited for the good times only before we worship, I mean, a lot of us, you guys have been, a lot of us in this room probably been going through a tough time and it's been a while. And if we just waited till things turned around, you might be waiting a long time. Maybe your family is stricken with, with a disease, a cancer, a marriage that's falling apart, you name it, whatever the case is, I don't know, you guys know. Will we worship if it doesn't work out the way we want it to? So the leper knew that he could come to Jesus. He was supposed to be outside of the city. He comes to the city, falls down on Jesus' face. He says, God, I know you can, but are you willing? And Jesus says, I'm willing. He cleansed them, and he says, immediately, He was clean. This is what happens in our life when we have an encounter with the living God that we are immediately cleansed, that we are immediately forgiven. We don't have to like try our hand at like a week making sure you can go without sin and then then the cleansing is complete. No, God says if you truly give me your heart and surrender yourself to me, you're cleansed, you're clean. I will make you well. The question wasn't if Jesus could, but if he was willing. Are we okay if God isn't willing that's a tough thing to say. It's a tough thing to ponder. What if it's not God's will for you to get better? What if it's not God's will for you to have that job, that house, that promotion, that whatever? What if that's not God's will? Are we gonna let that dictate how we worship? Are we gonna let that dictate how we praise him and how we thank him? And Jesus here, he, he says, I'm willing, be cleansed, and immediately leprosy left him. Something powerful happens here. Jesus reaches out and he touches this man. Put yourself in the story. Put yourself in the shoes of this leper, a man who hadn't been touched in who knows how many years. Hadn't felt worth, hadn't felt loved, hadn't felt community, no relationship, no physical touch. I mean, scientific research shows that in adolescence, especially, physical touch helps them to develop, helps them to thrive as they get older. And so this man hadn't been touched, and like I said, I, we don't know how long, but I would imagine being full of leprosy means this is an advanced case of leprosy. And Jesus reaches out, breaks all the rules, and touches this man in his brokenness. But the cool thing is, Jesus didn't leave him there, but he reinstated him back into community. He said, look, I want you to go and tell the priest. Show yourself to the priest. Make an offering. So back in Leviticus, the law was written that if you had leprosy and you had been cleansed from leprosy, you had to go to the priest and he would examine you right? And so you think of the modern-day priests at this time, they probably hadn't had this practice maybe ever. Maybe they've never seen a leper cleansed. And so as this guy's coming, they know it's Joe the leper. Joe's coming up, and, and, and this, he's completely cleansed. And so imagine the faith that would have been strengthened in the, in the priest in the synagogue or in the temple, So this man, he goes and shows himself to the priest. He makes an offering, and his response is to worship God, which is just an amazing, amazing thing. And see what happens when this guy is touched by God. He's able to worship now and see the, the, the priest in the synagogue. He's cleansed from his disease. He once again probably gains a sense of worth, He's once again being able to be embraced by others and by his family and by his community, by his church. And the amazing thing to me is that God would reach out and touch him. And I I like, I mean, this is taking liberty here into the text, but I imagine when Jesus touched him, I mean, that was probably the warmest touch he had ever felt. He probably felt like Jesus was wrapping his arms around him and squeezing him. I'm more of a hugger, um, and so if you're a hugger, you know what that means. If you're a physical touch person, you know that just how much physical touch is just, it just warms you and it's welcoming. My wife, not so much, you know, so like coming to church, you know, how many of you guys, I don't know, you don't have to raise your hand, but I know out there, there are some of you that like, you're like, oh, I hate to, after the second song, say hello to someone because I don't want to say hello to anyone, I don't want to touch anyone. If that's you, raise your hand. <laughs> Couple of brave souls. Okay, now everyone look at that person and go give them a hug after service. <laughs> How many of you are more like me that don't mind a hug, that, that embrace, okay, so you're the Christians, just kidding. Um, so, but, but I imagine Jesus is wrapping this guy up in his arms and just giving him a kiss and just saying, you're forgiven, you're, you're reinstated, you're loved, you're cared for, something this guy hadn't felt in who knows how many years. And he tells him, look, I don't want you to go and, and shout it from the rooftops, I want you to go to the priest, I want you to go and worship, right? And so what does this guy do? I'm healed, right? I mean, how could you blame the guy? He's probably doing like the double heel click, like side thing. You know what I'm talking about? Those like old school movies, like after the guy goes on his first date and he like, kisses the girl on the cheek and he's leaving. It's a black and white movie, and he jumps off the porch and he does the double heel click to the side. You know what I'm talking about, right? This is what I imagine this guy doing, right? He's so excited about what God had done in his life, and Jesus says, "Don't go tell anyone," and this guy goes and tells everybody. And then what happens to us? And even the disciples, right? He's telling, he, tells, he tells us as he's going into heaven, he says, look, I want you to go tell everyone about Jesus and what do we do? We sit quietly by and zip our lips. Something's backwards there, right? So let me challenge us as a church. Easter's coming up and I, I spoke to it during the announcements. There's maybe three, 350 people in here, something like that. What if every single one of us in this room Brought one person that needed to hear the gospel, needed to hear the life-giving, life-changing power of the gospel. What if we brought that person with us on Easter Sunday? One person. Imagine that. Do you think God would be faithful to his word and the word would go forth and those that are meant to hear it and receive it would and their lives would be changed forever? Do you believe that? If we believe that, then our actions will show that. Do you guys believe that? that means we're going to bring someone to church with us. Amen? Don't amen me if you're not going to do it, right? Are we going to do it? It's a little less amens. I appreciate the honesty. I can work with honest people. Um, no, but in all seriousness, Jesus says, look, I don't want you to tell anything, tell anybody. He goes and tells everyone. Jesus tells us to go to everyone, and we, we sit quietly by and watch millions and millions of people who are in desperate need of that physical touch, that healing from the living God. We sit quietly by and watch them go to hell. Ouch. I always get the worst passages of scripture when I'm supposed to teach, right? I feel like I'm, it's like, but God knows what I need to hear. God knows how I need to be convicted and God knows how us as a church and family need to be convicted. And so as I study the scripture, I myself am, am embarrassed. I myself am encouraged. I myself am, convicted all at once, God is calling us to make a difference in the lives of somebody else. God hasn't came here to live this life, to live the perfect life, die a horrible sinner's death for us to sit quietly by and watch people go on a collision course with God's wrath. That, that is not what we're called to do as believers. Love is shown in action, so I want to encourage you I implore you, I want to beg you guys. Go out and and tell somebody about Jesus. Tell them that God lives, that He can He can restore the leper. And the story here now transitions, and we're gonna meet another guy that radically needed an encounter with Jesus, and it's a paralytic. You guys know the story. So the story is more popularly taught from the book of Mark, but here we see, this is the one that the paralytic guy, and he's got four friends that, that bring him to Jesus and, and lower him through the roof because they couldn't get in. And so read with me, starting in, in verse 6 17. It says, Now it happened on a certain day that he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought on a bed a man, who was paralyzed, uh, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down, uh, let him down with with his bed through the, the tiling onto or into the midst before Jesus. And so put yourself in this situation. Now we, we saw what it was like to be a leper alone. Uh, apart from community, no physical touch, nobody cares, nobody loves Actually, everyone hates you and they're repulsed by you. And now here you are, hopeless, paralytic. Now, all you have is your friends. All you have, someone has to take care of you because you can't take care of yourself. And luckily he had surrounded himself with some godly people that knew if they could just get him to Jesus, that this man's life had a chance to be turned around. And that things could change forever. That he could now walk again and be whole again. And so put yourself in this situation here. Imagine tensions are pretty high. You have all these religious leaders and what are they doing there? They're doing this. Just waiting for Jesus to mess up so I can call him out. And call him a blasphemer and a liar and a phony and a fake. Right. Then you have the four friends that lower this guy through the roof and they're just anxiously waiting for Jesus to, to work and to move. They know he can, it's a matter of if you will. Then you have the homeowner, right? Put yourself in the homeowners. You're like, what the heck? And this is my house. <laughs> like something better happened here, right? My roof didn't get tore up for nothing. Right? And then the religious leaders, they're there just to just to see if Jesus would what what he would do, how they could call him out next. In verse 20, uh, t- verse 20 says this. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to them, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees, they began to reason, saying, who is this that speaks blasphemies? So the, the tensions are high. It probably you can hear a pin drop or you can probably hear the tiling of the roof kind of come onto the ground. And everyone's like looking up. And here comes this man, and what does Jesus say? Jesus says, stand up and walk, you're healed. No. He says, your sins are forgiven you. Can you imagine how everyone just felt deflated, right? Like, what, that's not, the friends, that's not what they lowered him down for. They wanted physical healing, I'm sure of it. The homeowner was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) My house is messed up for nothing? And the Pharisees and scribes, they were furious. Like, see, we knew. Who can can forgive sins but God alone? But what Jesus does here is he addresses the real need. This man's real need, just like your real need and my real need, is forgiveness. Because of who we are and the sin that we commit and how we were born into sin, we are enemies with God, the Bible says. Our sin has separated us from that touch of God, but all it takes is us to confess our sin, to commit our lives to Jesus. And we can be healed. We can be cleansed. We can be saved. And so the man's lowered through the roof and Jesus addresses the real need of forgiveness. And he says, man, your, your sins are forgiven you. Everyone's like, what in the world? That's not, that's not what we wanted. Homeowner's bummed about his roof. Like, who's gonna fix this? You know, Pharisees, I knew it. And then Jesus does something incredible here in, in the second part of verse 24 or verse 22, it says, but Jesus perceived their thoughts and he answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to rise up and walk, but that you may know that the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, take up your bed and go to your house. And immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been laying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and they were filled, filled with fear, saying, "We have seen some strange things today." I mean, imagine yourself being in that crowd. Jesus heals this man spiritually speaking, then heals him physically speaking, and this man gets up and he worships God. Now, here's the incredible thing about this this story, is that this man could do nothing for himself, but he had surrounded himself with people who loved him, who cared more about him than about ease and comfort. They were willing to bring him, drag him to Jesus. Who are you willing to bring to Jesus? Who are you willing to drag to Jesus if necessary? Actually, back up to verse 18, something incredible here is just a few short words, but I think it's really... It was convicting for me, so I hope and trust that the Lord is going to use it to convict and encourage you as well. It says this, Then behold, the uh, the men brought on uh, on the bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in, here it is, and lay before him. The question for us today, what do we need to lay before Jesus' feet to watch him work? That man, in desperate need of healing, in the hands of his friends, still useless, still no power. It wasn't until they laid him before Jesus' feet and he was in Jesus' control. It was in Jesus' will to heal him. That's when the life change happened. So think of that relationship, that friendship, the marriage, friends at school, whatever it is. Think of that person, that relationship, that thing that God is asking you to lay at his feet and watch him work. Maybe it's a spouse sitting right next to you. Are you willing to lay that person down at Jesus' feet and trust that God knows what he's doing and that God loves that person more than than you do? Are you willing to trust God? The friends knew that if they could get him to Jesus, that Jesus would take care of it and do the rest. Do we have that same faith? Do we truly believe that if we were to bring someone, drag someone on their bed, if need be, to church, that Jesus would do the work? Incredible story, there's a, a family friend of ours. We've known them for many years, and um, going through a really hard time, and, and she, this, this girl who my, my wife's been friends with for a million years, you know? She's been going through it, um, self-inflicted stuff, and, and my wife uh, asked her to go to the Bliss Conference yesterday, and she was thinking there's no way she's going to say yes, and by God's grace, she said yes and came, and nothing miraculous happened. She didn't like fall down at the altar and give her life to Jesus, but she came, and she never in a million years, would, did my wife think that she would be obedient and come. It's not your job to save anybody. It's your job to bring them and lay them down at the feet of Jesus and trust that he loves him and her more than we do. Do we believe that if we were to bring someone to church that God would work? If we truly believe, then we will be obedient and do. It's one thing to say. We can, talk is cheap, right? Actions have to follow that talk. So who is that one life that you need to bring and lay him or her at the feet of Jesus? Jesus. For the paralytic's friends, it was their friend, the paralytic. I wish he had a name, Steve. It was Steve. But Jesus addresses the greatest need, and he wants to address that greatest need in our life. For coming to Jesus expecting a miracle, well, first, God wants to do the greatest miracle, which is to forgive us. We do not deserve God's forgiveness. Yet he freely gives it if we would surrender our lives to him. So Jesus addresses the greatest need, forgives this man, and then heals this man. So popularity of Jesus is just, people know who he is at this point. He's walking out, people are saying, there he is. There's Messiah, there's the Son of Man. Messianic term that they would have known. And then Jesus, he takes, he leaves the house here in in, in verse 27. It says, and then uh, after these things, so sometime after all this happened, He went out and saw this tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And so Levi left all, rose up, and followed him. So here we see the third character in our our study this morning, and it's this tax collector. Now, if you've been coming to church for any amount of time, you know that tax collector in Bible... Uh, it, it, the combination's bad, right? Every time it talks about a tax collector, it talks about, uh, there's a negative context to it. So as we look at this tax collector here, Levi, let me tell you who he is. So as the Romans came in to occupy Jerusalem, how they were gonna tax, the best way to tax the, the Jewish people would it be have their own kind, go and tax them, right? So they, they played their own Jewish people against one another. And so if you were a Jew, you'd have to sell out, and I mean, you have to cut off relationships, You'd have to be excommunicated from the worship. You couldn't go to the synagogue and worship. You know, nobody loved you. There was no love lost for you because you were selling out to Rome. And as you sold out to Rome, you would charge your people double tax or whatever the case is. Say, you know, Caesar required $100 from every person. They would charge $125, $150, whatever it was. They could charge whatever they wanted. So you can imagine this person was hated and it was their own doing, so they had sold out to Rome. Levi was, was hated, with no love lost for him. He was despised, unloved, and unforgiven. And we see he encounters Jesus. Jesus goes out of his way, goes up to Levi and says, follow me. I imagine like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm not going to do the accent, but all right, I'll try. Follow me if you want to live, right? It's like, follow me if you want to live. And Levi's like, I've seen what you can do. I'm interested in who you are. Like, I'm all in. Have you ever been in the spot? Maybe you've you've done some some messed up things. You're like Levi. Maybe you've sold out, stabbed one in the back, done some things maybe you're not proud of. Deep down inside, you know you need that forgiveness. And that's where Levi was at. He knew he needed to be touched by the living God. So Levi was in desperate need of that forgiveness, in desperate need of that love, in desperate need of being reinstated back into community to be able to worship with his people. And Jesus offers that freely. He says, follow me. And Levi followed God. We see other stories in the Bible. The rich young ruler who had everything, probably much like Levi, says, you know, I've I've kept the law since I was a little kid. Like, I'm dialed in. What do I need to be saved? Jesus says, look, I want you to to love me more than you love your things. And he's like, I'm out. I can't do that. But what he did here, what Levi did here, is he left everything. Doesn't say he sold it off doesn't say like, oh, I got got business deals that I need to close up. I need to close some more deals and set myself up and then I'll follow. No, he forsook everything and followed Jesus. The litmus test for, for this conversion was his actions. The litmus test for us and a true conversion, a true heart that says, I love you, God, is our actions. Our actions and our faith go hand in hand. Read the book of James. You can't save something and live a different way you're just a hypocrite that way. How many of you guys have lived that life before? I know I have. So, three truthful people in this audience. Great. <laughs> preaching to a bunch of liars. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I lived a hypocritical life for so many years. I was saved by God's grace and reinstated. I'm up here preaching, not because I went to seminary and some awesome guy, but because God has a sense of humor and he loves me. You know what I mean? That's why I stand here today on the authority of God's word. Because God has a word for each and every one of us this morning. He says, I want you to, to lay down that person. I want you, maybe you're feeling depressed or whatever it is, like the, like the leper would have been. I want, I want you to just come to me, Jesus would say. Surround yourself with godly people, have them drag you to church. You need to drag someone to church. Drag a paralytic to church next Sunday. Or maybe you're like the tax collector. And you desperately need the forgiveness that you do not deserve. Yet God will give freely if we humble ourselves and submit to him. So let's personalize this here. Verse 29, sorry, We'll, we'll finish. It says this, and Levi gave him a great feast. So he's excited about his conversion. He's excited about Jesus. You remember how it was when you first came to know the Lord? You're pumped, and you're like, "I'm in love, I'm in love, I don't care if anyone knows it, like elf, you know, a Buddy the Elf swings in his dad's office, throws open the door and throws his hat, and he's excited about his relationship and his love for Christ. This is what Levi's doing, and what he's doing. He's inviting all of his unsaved, garbage dirtbag friends that he just was. He said, "Look, I got some forgiveness. you guys need this forgiveness. Come to this party, right?" And so people are naysayers, they're, they're upset that Jesus would even eat and drink with these guys, and so they start complaining to, the, to his disciples, and Jesus says something just profound here. He says, look, those, in verse 31, Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I haven't come to call righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the work of Jesus Christ. He came to call us to repentance. That's why he forgave the sins before he healed and so you have a friend that needs to hear about Jesus. You need to bring him. They're sick, they're paralyzed, they're leprous in their sin. Maybe you're sick, maybe you're paralyzed, maybe you're leprous in your sin, and you need to be touched by the living God this morning. Will you humble yourself, admit that you need God, and cry out to him, fall on your face as the leper did? Maybe you're the Maybe you're the leper and you're unworthy you're unclean you're outcast you're depressed you have no friends you've secluded yourself well the bible says this in 1 john 1:9 if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to forgive us of our forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness like the leper go get jesus go to jesus or maybe you're like a paralytic Maybe there's a paralytic in your life that you need to drag to Jesus. We, in and of ourselves, are helpless to get to God. We need God. Proverbs twenty 13, 20 says this, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will, will uh, suffer harm. Or maybe you're like a tax collector and you've done some things that you're not proud of, that you're ashamed of, and you realize that You stab someone in the back or you're not worthy of forgiveness. Well, there's hope and his name is Jesus Christ. And he didn't come for the well, he came for the sick like you and like me and he came to set us free. And the Bible says when you're free, we are free indeed, amen?